Hi, I'm Brandon Briscoe, and welcome to another episode of The Postscript, Living Faith Bible Institute's weekly podcast and YouTube series devoted to interviewing pastors and professors from LFBI and across the Living Faith Fellowship. Now, we are just coming on the the heels of the Living Faith Fellowship's annual missions conference, Mission Focus, here in Kansas City. We had several guest speakers uh, that are involved in church planting or have been involved in missions over the years, uh, providing us with insight and and biblical theology surrounding the, the the work of missions and really challenging and calling us all to consider the work of missions in our life. And so that's been so productive. And and among the the guest speakers, we've had uh, guys at varying levels of of experience and knowledge. And so uh, we had guys that are just brand new church planters, just beginning the work. But then also we've had some experts, guys that have been around for a while and are veterans in the work of missions. And and one of these guest speakers was Pastor Jeff Bartell of First Baptist Church of New Philadelphia, Ohio. And in a former life, uh, he was a missionary to Albania for 14 years and has been involved with church planting. And, and that work is continuing, even now that he's here in the States, that work has continued to multiply and to grow. And he has so much insight uh, as it concerns the topic of missions uh, that we are excited to have him here with us today on The Postscript. And we're going to be talking about the subject of the local church and its responsibility to the work of missions. And uh, there are many different perspectives on effective ways of doing missions. There are many people with different theories and ideas about how to approach missions, but there is a biblical way. Uh, There is a way that is true to scripture, and we are going to talk about that uh, today. And so with that, I want to welcome Pastor Jeff Bartell to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. It's good to have you. You're, You're an expert in the podcast arena. So this should be fairly easy for you. Well, I, I don't have a problem talking and the microphone doesn't bother me. So if that makes me an expert, you know. But you do, you do this a lot. I mean, on Theology Roundtable, I do how, it many, a lot. how many episodes have you guys done now? Um, just over 150. Yeah. So That's we've been at few. it for about three years. Yeah. Yeah. But but talking like this. No this problem is, at all. This is your thing. Yeah. I don't, I'm not, not bothered by the, the what furniture. The cam- what about the it's cameras? It's okay. The people, the furniture, the cameras. Yeah, it's okay. It's no problem. That's good. Let's have a conversation. We like to start by just hearing your testimony. Oh, yeah. And since we're going to be talking about missions specifically, could you... I was born at a very young age. That yeah, whole right, thing. right. We don't have to go, we don't yeah, have to okay, go all the way back. Yeah. But if you could share with us about how God got a hold of your heart as it concerns the work of missions and how he got you to Albania and what that work looked just like. Start just start at that point. Yeah, just, just take us along the journey of what... Yeah. It looked like to get on the field and then what the work itself looked like. Yeah. Well, that this could fill your whole podcast. I, I'll try to be concise. How about that? Hey, wherever you take it, um, we're good. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, this is my favorite subject in the whole world. Me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, missions is, is I think, the heartbeat of the Lord, obviously, but it's I, I love it. It's, it's the most interesting and most exciting subject for life in the scriptures to me. Um, it's just fascinating. It's wonderful. And, mm-hmm. and I'm thankful for the opportunities the Lord's given me in my life. So if I did back up very briefly, so I got saved as a college student and, uh, I was in Arkansas at the time and, and I didn't grow up in a church family. So say all that only to say that when I got saved, it was after only hearing the gospel the very first time in my entire life. Wow. I was 21 years old. I'd never even heard one presentation of the gospel. Had you ever been in a church before or anything like that? My friends growing up were Roman Catholic. And I'd sneak in with them a couple of times and just thought that whole thing was kind of weird to me. It was just too much 
ritual and all mm-hmm. that I didn't understand. And so it kind of scared me. And I, I knew I didn't want to go there. Right. And I just never was a part of it. We never had a Bible in the house. My parents never went to a church and any of that sort mm. of thing. I say that to say that when I did get saved and I began to, I was a blank slate, truly. I began to realize quickly that, wow, I've just wasted almost 22 years of my life mm. living for myself and for the devil. And I really have to make up for lost time. I didn't know that there was a verse that said redeeming the time, but I had in my mind, I need to redeem the time. Mm -hmm. And so I make a lot of weird, bold comments in my life. It's just part of who I am. And like, I'll say things like, sometimes when people get saved, they really get saved. Yeah. And sometimes they kind of get saved. And and of course, theologically, I don't mean that. But when I got saved, I really got saved. In other words, it really meant everything to me. My life really changed from darkness to light. Your worldview. It was, was dramatic. different. So I went all in. So I was an engineering student. I graduated, got an engineering job. And that took me to North Alabama. And mm-hmm. that's where I really began to learn the Bible and really began to, you know, connected through churches here in Kansas City area mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. And, and so the development of a local Bible Institute as well. Yeah. And uh, we had our version of that. And I did all of that with always just excited and desiring. I I, kind of coined a phrase. um, I'm a Christian who happens to be an engineer, not the other way around. Right. Because I didn't want to have my identity be wrapped up in what I did. I wanted my identity in Christ, and I did whatever I did to pay the bills. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I always desired to do more. And the most exciting time of the year for me every year was our church's annual missions conference. Yeah. I think a lot of people feel that way. Yeah, and so yeah. it was a lot of fun. And um, and I just dreamed about what if that could be me? And I started going on mission trips. All all good good ideas for anybody who's listening and interested mm-hmm. in that sort of thing. So on the mission trips, I began to realize that missionaries aren't like special, weird creatures that have like some extra chromosome right. or whatever. <laughs> they're, just, they're just people who surrender to do something. Yeah. And I realized that if if I was willing to surrender to do something, maybe I could do that too. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, I was then coming up through my 20s, not married, um, serving in my church and learning and all that kind of stuff. And I just positioned my life to want to do that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I got a, I had some school debt. I paid that off and I did our church's training and got, you know, and I was obviously involved in ministry. I led our junior high school class of kids and stuff. Nice. And uh, and took missions trips. Mm-hmm. And so one trip led to another trip, led to another trip. And ultimately then in, I know the, the gray beard gives it away. I'm not a young <laughs> man anymore. Um, but in 1992, okay, um, I was 30 years old. Okay. And uh, it was like my third or fourth mission trip. And we went to Albania. And Albania was the, the last country of Eastern Europe, the Eastern European communist bloc mm-hmm. that opened up to the West. So Russia, Czechoslovakia, Poland, right. they had already fallen and opened up. And Albania was the last one. And our church organized a trip to go in. And I wanted to go, but even before I was able to tell the pastor I wanted to volunteer, he said, I want you to go with me. Hmm. And so to keep the story fairly short anyways, the the, the circumstances were such that Unlike any other place I'd been, I'd been in Central America, I'd been in the Philippines, I'd been in East Africa. Mm-hmm. In this place, um, people were getting saved. The country had just opened. They didn't have 
any foreigners, a, a little backstory on Albania is that it was the only atheist country in the world officially legislated in their constitution that it was mm -hmm. against the law to believe in any God. Mm -hmm. So they had no Bible and they had no religious expression of any kind. Their for how hit, long was it that way? Uh, for 25 years. Wow. Uh, so communism was 45 years since World War II mm -hmm. until that point. At some point along the line, about 1967, the dictator decided that this, this religion, and actually it's kind of a, it's another story for another day, but the, the, the Catholic priests and the Orthodox priests, the Eastern Orthodox priests, were actually doing kind of underground subversive maneuverings with and against the government. And the dictator sniffed it out. And so he just said, I'm stamping it all out. Mm. So they burned down buildings, burned books. They did the whole deal. But there's an entire generation, 25 years. An entire generation. that have was, no idea. They were just raised with atheism, Darwinism, communism, mm. you know, all that kind of stuff. So when we went there, truly it was a country, it ties into my story in this sense, is an entire country that had no exposure to the gospel. And, and when we went there, we just started sharing the gospel, cold turkey with door to door knocking, literally stuff like so that. So you knew to do. Y yeah. And so, and people were responding to the gospel. Did they actually get saved? The Lord knows. I don't know, but they were interested and open in responding to the gospel. And I, and I tie that to the brief version of my story, because mm -hmm. when I got saved, I got saved after hearing the gospel only once. And then now I'm in a country where everybody, whoever is hearing the gospel, is yeah. hearing it for the very first time. Mm -hmm. They've never heard the gospel. And, and they were getting saved after having heard it only once. A lot of people say you need to hear it a bunch of times and the stats right. or whatever they right. are. But in this case, one thing's for sure. It's possible. Yes. That people can get saved after hearing it only once. And Albania is a testimony of and that many, many, many people. That resonated with you. Like, yeah. These are people like me. They, right. they hear it and it was compelling and it was powerful and they received so, it. So multiple people. So tens, scores, hundred plus. I mean, mm. lots of people are getting saved on this two-week mission trip. Whoa. So unlike any other mission trip I'd been on, there was no existing church to leave them with for follow-up. There was no missionary. There was no national pastor. There was no existing ministry that you could say, okay, we met these people. They got saved. Let's funnel them into your church. There was no church. And I'm 30. I'm an engineer. I've paid off my loans. I've finished my educational training. I'm praying about an opportunity. And the Lord started to bring together, oh, okay, through his word, through the circumstances, through... My pastor was on the trip with me, our pastoral mm -hmm. leadership. And, you know, I, I said, I, I think the Lord might be asking me to stay here and shepherd these new converts. And, you know, all my life, it's kind of like the, the story of the dog chasing the car. Mm -hmm. The dog barks after, chases after the car. And then the, the, the question is, what's the dog going to do with the car once right. he catches it? Yeah. Well, I was the dog chasing the car. And all of a sudden the opportunity came up. Oh, I had prayed that prayer before when I went to the Philippines. I had prayed that prayer before. And the answer was clearly no. And my pastor was wise enough to agree that it was a no. Mm -hmm. I was zealous, but I wasn't ready. Mm -hmm. But in this case, it was, all, it was all a yes. Everything lined up. And I was like, oh, man, now, now what do I do? You know. Mm -hmm. And uh, so anyway, with that, um, you know, the Lord worked it out. And so this was July of 1992. 
I was on my two-week vacation from my job. I went back, quit my job, sold everything that I owned within a month. Wow. And before August was done, I was on a plane with a one-way ticket to go back and live permanently. Dude, that's wild. Because I was single, because Albania was cheap to live in, and because our church had enough resource to say, look, if we know there's a need for you to get back immediately. If you'll go immediately, we'll fully fund you. Wow. Now, fully funding me back then was $1,000 a month. Now, that was still significant, significantly less than I was making. Yeah. You know what I mean? But always in my life, I refer to it as the greatest promotion I've ever received. Mm. So by August of 92, I was back on a plane and on my way all alone to go and uh, begin a work in a country where I didn't speak the language. I didn't know anybody except this handful of new converts. And no networking. There was no other believers. No there other believers that I knew of. I mean, yeah. there were some missionaries trickling in from, you know, a mm -hmm. lot of cult groups, whatever. I didn't know them. Yeah. And uh, so, so in my unique situation, it was truly like you helicopter drop a guy somewhere mm -hmm. all alone and say, you know, good luck. Yeah. And, uh, but that, you know, and again, that's not a model that we would promote for our people. It's, it's just, what, God had it's just what worked out yeah. at this particular unique slice of time in history. So since then, say that to say, I ended up staying there 14 years. I married my translator who thankfully was a girl, mm -hmm. right? That's <laughs> a lot of dumb jokes. Sorry. So yeah, my translator is now, was yeah. my trans, my wife, Erla. After a year of working together, you know, Lord put our hearts together and we got married and raised our two daughters there. And I was there for 14 years and we started literally, we should have called it First Baptist Church. We didn't call it First Baptist you, Church. Yeah. It was the first wow. Baptist church in the country, post-communist Baptist church in the country. That's one thing to say that in a small town, but it's a whole nother thing to say it in, in a, a whole country. country. Yeah. I, I don't know you why I was thinking. Opportunity. Oh, well. Yeah. We called it Bible Baptist Church. <laughs> anyways. So we started that and, um, and it was just, like I said, 30, it was 30 years ago now, uh, a little over 30 years ago. It's amazing, really. Yeah. And uh, so that church grew to maturity. Um, we were able to start a second church in the second largest city, a city called Duras, uh, the, the capital city, Tirana, is where we live. And that church is going well. And uh, it just became apparent to me that I had done what I was called to do. I had successfully worked myself out of a job. I think that's important for a missionary. Mm-hmm that we had trained and developed leaders who were fully functional and capable to carry on every aspect of ministry that I was yeah. carrying on. And I had other options in front of me. Since I left in 2006, 14 years later, the ministry has continued to grow. And, and I'm so thankful um, that there are godly men and ladies that continue to lead. They've multiplied into a third church. They're actively planting a fourth church. They've sent an international ministry to Istanbul, Turkey, and to Pristina, the capital of Kosovo. Hmm. Um, they have another team who's working on a Bible translation. They've recently relocated back here to the States. It happens to be my wife's brother and mm -hmm. his wife. And, uh, and, and there's just a lot of ministry going on. There, there's plans and dreams of new churches. We're looking towards sending a young couple from our church in Ohio to do a one-year internship mm. under the leadership of that fully mature ministry in Albania 
as they're praying about their future and missions right. and that sort of thing. So, so God's done a lot of wonderful things, and and the fact that I got to get in on the front end of it a little bit was just—it's great. It's the joy of my life. It's just—it's just fun. And do you get to go back and visit often? I do. I actually intentionally go. Of course, my wife's family is yeah. there, and I learn the language well, and obviously, I'm deeply connected to these people. So I've been there at least once a year, every year since I've been gone. Mm -hmm. Some years I've gone a couple of times, except for COVID where I might've missed a year or right. two. Um, yeah, I've been there. So I've been gone 16 years. Mm -hmm. Hurts my feelings to say that I've been gone longer than I was there. Yeah, But, uh, but I've been there more than 16 times. And so you, I go regularly. And when you go, when you go back, how, how are you received? I mean, is it is it family? Do you feel like grandpa or what, like, what is it? I am grandpa. It's absolutely true. Mm -hmm. And and I was just going to, I am received disproportionately well. They treat me as truly way better than I deserve. Um, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful culture of people that are highly hospitable and, and caring and loyal. And, um, so they honor me like, yeah. I want to just kind of sneak in the back door and enjoy what God's doing. Yeah. And I can't. Right. They're going to march me up front and they're going to sure. wait in line to greet me and hug me and stuff like that. And actually, it's the double cheek kiss thing, which is, okay. I love the holy kiss. Let's be biblical, you know. Hey, why that not? That kind of thing. So anyways. <laughs> I'll, re I'll remember that next time I greet you. Dude, I'm all about it. Okay. I'll all put right. one on you. <laughs> it's okay. Um, so anyways, no, they, they truly... I, I am one of them. Yeah. They are. They are in me. Like I can't. I I can't separate myself. I I sometimes. I was just there at the end of October and did another conference, and I had a couple of guys from New Philly that went with me, and um, I was trying to share with them the experience a little bit to give them context. And I only say that to say this. As I, it kind of came to me in a new way of expression to tell these guys that were with me who had never been there before. Mm -hmm. That I said, you ever watch those movies? You ever watch a movie where like there's a story of a guy and his beautiful family, but he's got a job that takes him out of town a lot. Mm -hmm. And as the movie goes on, the drama thickens and, and you find out that the guy's got like a whole nother family and a whole oh, nother gosh. town. Yeah. And now, okay. In a movie sense, that's horrible. Right. But in a sense, I was trying to explain to these guys in Ohio, I have, I have a complete wonderful spiritual family of the church and first Baptist church. Right. Mm -hmm. But I've got an entire another family across the ocean that's it's just as much a part of who I am, not yeah. just historically, but continuing on, yeah. you know, going forward. And I every chance I get, I try and bring as many people from this family to meet that family. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's because something really healthy about bringing those worlds yeah, together. So we're we're just deeply, deeply connected. So And that's great. I think it's really important for our, our listeners to hear that. Yeah. Because not only because uh you've had the experience of church planting and being a missionary, but it's your heartbeat. Yeah. Like all, all of this is intertwined with who you are. And I think that also it legitimizes you in terms of this conversation that we're having, because we're about to talk about kind of a hard topic that not very many people understand. Uh, you know, there are different philosophies of missions that exist in the world. Yeah. And you even kind of hinted at this when you were talking about handing it over to the natives. That's a philosophy that we hold to. That's kind of unique that not everyone sees it that way. Right. Right. And so, the thing that we want to talk about today is the local church's mandate to train and send and support missionaries. Right. Th that's our responsibility. But, right. but for, for people who are unfamiliar with this topic, 
they might not know that that's not how 99% of the missions world works. That, that what we're talking about, though we believe it's biblical, is actually kind of countercultural uh, in terms of, of missions work. It's horrible, isn't it? Yeah. So if you don't mind, could you explain the to, to the audience, just as a beginning of our conversation, what the institutional parachurch missions world looks like? Like, how do they train? How do they send? How do they support? Can you explain the antithesis, and then we'll come back to what we believe is, is the right approach. To be fair, mm-hmm. um, I didn't work my way through their system. So I'm speaking as an outside observer. Right. Yeah. But I've observed. You've, you've seen. Yeah. On the field, there were people out there that were Yeah, listen, out. I had all my hardcore missions training after living permanently in another location mm-hmm. and just seeing who showed up and what they were doing or not doing, as the case might have been. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I say sometimes is that I didn't realize until I got to my permanent station you know, in Albania, I didn't realize that a missionary could be anything other than a church planting missionary. Hmm. But then it gets even worse. I didn't realize that a missionary could not only not be a part of starting a church, I didn't realize there were missionaries that could not go to church, but there were those too. They didn't even attend, you know. So, you know, there's a, a mis- missionary nurses or missionary yeah. this right. or that, you know, yeah. construction workers or Mm-hmm. Whatever it might be. Okay, everybody throws around that and term. And obje- your point is that their objectives weren't the same. They weren't ultimately right. to plant a church right. or whatever. So what I've observed is, is that, you know, typically what you find in these other paradigms is, you know, if I just bottom line it, I'd say that it's, it's just a job. Mm-hmm. It's a career path. So what's their training model? Well, they go to school. They go to a Bible school. They go to a mission. They're missions majors at a Bible college. Mm -hmm. And when they graduate, they put together a resume and they apply at missions agencies. And depending on what type of group they're affiliated with. So for example, if if you're a Southern Baptist and you come through Southern Baptist seminaries, well, then you're going to be fully funded Mm -hmm. as an employee of the Southern Baptist Convention and International Mission Board or something like that. If you're more of an independent organization, then you know, you may have to raise your own funds or whatever the case might be or, or, or whatever your work might, might require. Some people are, you know, bivocational in the things they do. But the point is this. Typically, what they're going to do is they're going to be very creative. They're going to have some idea that, I'll tell you what, we're, we do sports ministry. We're going to go into this country and we're going to play basketball and we're going to gather crowds and we're going to do this and that and the other. Mm-hmm. We're going to be just, you know, we're, we do teenage ministry and everybody's a specialist and whatever, you know, yeah. we do orphanages, we build schools, we dig wells. Mm-hmm. We, and they're all fine things, right? And so as a result, they're doing some aspect. And again, I'm not trying to denigrate the validity of the true humanitarian necessary help that these people offer. We work only with college students. I've had a lot of experience with particular, you know, college-based organizations mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Even when I was a college Navigators student. or whoever it yeah, was. Yeah, Camps Crusade yeah. and stuff yeah, yeah. like that. And, uh, and that's fine. Again, mm-hmm. you know, they had some good influence in my life for a time. But the point is, they go, basically, you know, you finish typically some formal institutional education, you apply to some mission organization, that mission organization then becomes your 
authority. They become mm-hmm. your employer. They became, and, and they're your authority for the directives of how you're going to carry out the work that you're going to do. We have guidelines. We have a handbook or whatever. You mm-hmm. will do this. You won't do that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like a lot of these organizations would never have tolerated me dating a national and potentially marrying. You know, that's mm-hmm. against the rules. You're not allowed to do that. Uh, I've known people in that category. You know, they meet some national young lady or whatever and feel the Lord's putting them together. Well, he has to resign his position with that mission organization now or decide not to get married or whatever the case might be. Um, And so as a result, you know, they're they're doing all these good things, um, but they're they're just a, a segment of really the best thing. And that is doing the one and only thing that the Bible ever commissioned Mm-hmm. And that is local churches. Yeah, Local church needs to be the singular vehicle, because biblically it is the singular vehicle mm-hmm. through which Jesus Christ then, his body, by the way, the church, right, is to carry out right. the continuation of his ministry. And I, I want you to talk about the, the scriptural premise for our position, but I also think it is important to kind of um, you know, dig up what's at the root of this? So like you, you think about a, a young person. I was trying to, as you were talking, I was trying to imagine the person. How do they get there? Right. They're in a church. Yeah. They come to Christ. They love the Lord. They're excited. Their pastor doesn't know what to do with them. They're talking about missions. Well, the best thing to do is to send them to a seminary. And so they send them away. They, they leave the local church setting. A lot of these seminaries don't even require that you attend a church. Um, and if they do, the accountability is generally low and... And so you're, you could be at a seminary and get a missions degree and actually not even understand the value of ministry work because you haven't been doing it the last four years. Or they redefine ministry work in the context of whatever the seminary says. Right, yeah. They're in other like words, the they'll church. call it ministry. Yeah. Like I knew a guy who was a missionary and he, he opened a restaurant where all the missionaries went to get hamburgers. Oh my gosh. And, and then he would hire nationals to be the waiters and waiters waitresses and somehow that was his ministry i'm not saying he didn't try and share the gospel with those people yeah, let's yeah. give them the benefit of the doubt but i'm sorry the new testament model of ministry isn't open a restaurant yeah you know what i mean yeah it's, it seems diluted it's like we have the privilege because of the world that we live in and the institutions that we've created that we um, can do things like be missionaries that own hamburger shops. Like it seems like a, like you look at the New Testament, which we're about to do here in a second, yeah. uh, and consider what Paul had to go to yeah. through to get on the field. Like I imagine him in Cyprus, right? And I'm thinking he wasn't opening a hamburger joint. He was yeah. casting out demons. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. He was in, endeavoring. It was a work. There was a hardship. And well, he, the, he had an objective in mind, and that was to establish yeah, and the, and the big and the big cop-out, if I can use that term, it, you know, is that, well, he was a tent maker. Okay, mm-hmm. well, that's an entirely different contextual understanding. Right. Yeah. We don't need to go down that road. But just because Paul also had to do some work to fund his mission right. did not make, you know, his, his mission wasn't, to house the homeless because they don't have tents. Right. His mis- his mission wasn't to, you know, eliminate generational poverty. Mm-hmm. Like his mission was to win people to Jesus Christ. And when churches didn't have any money to send him, he's like, I'll figure out a way to make some right. money. I'll right. make some money and I'll keep going. Yeah. That's an entirely different, you know. And his, pro- his chief concern was the health of each established local church. Right. Like, so even when he's not in that city anymore... 
everything he said or did revolved around making sure that the, the disciples that he had established were healthy growing, and growing maturing. and multiplying. If he couldn't be there personally, right. he would secure that somebody else would be there personally. There was no daddy issues of abandonment, you right. know, in yeah. the church situation. Yeah. Like there wasn't any of that. No. So so we're already, you know, kind of going down this line of uh, talking about what, what Paul was doing. I yeah. mean, because at the end of the day, we know uh, that, that Paul is our ensample. And we're looking to him and, and seeing how, you know, he lived in a completely different world than we did, but his, all the objectives are the same, right? right. The, the mission hasn't changed. we have to be able to follow it since yes. that's what the Bible says. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So will you lay out for us the principles that we get uh, from watching Paul's life in terms of, of why and how we know that the work of missions is a local church work? Can you make the, the doctrinal argument for us? And to be fair, he is the primary character in the book of Acts, if we're going to look at missions and models and, and all that sort of thing, I mean, certainly he's the guy. Right. Um, and, and so if you want to go back into Paul's life, his unique salvation experience is not something to be repeated. Right. But the fact that he was a part of a local church in Antioch, mm -hmm. a core church, and he was a part of a, a team of leaders proven as one of the five stated yeah. pastors and, and teachers in that assembly and that the Holy Spirit called out Barnabas and Saul for the work that he had called them to do. Mm -hmm. And so they were separated by the local church and sent by the local church, which is equivalent to being sent by the Holy Spirit, specifically from yes. that text of Acts 13. And then they began to go out on what is known as their first missionary journey. Mm -hmm. And by the end of that, and what, and by the way, what did they do when they were on that mission? Yes, they traveled and yes, they witnessed and led people to the Lord. Paul had a manner, the New Testament mm -hmm. says, that he would go into a town and he would go into a synagogue. He was a venerated rabbi. He would have been respected. He would have been invited. He would have gone in there and preached Jesus. He would have split the synagogue down the middle. Mm -hmm. Those that were against him would try and run him out of town. Those that were with him, he would start a church. Yeah, And he would stay as long as he could. And maybe he had to run for his life at times. And sometimes like in Corinth, he would stay for a year and a half or, mm -hmm. or whatever the case might be. Okay, so with these situations, what was Paul's understanding of obeying the Great Commission? Well, it was going and, yes, make disciples of all nations, but not just when it's not just evangelism. And it's not just evangelism and a handful of booklets to learn the, you know, the fundamentals of the faith. It was mm -hmm. establishing New Testament local churches. That first missionary journey comes to a conclusion by the end of chapter 14 of the book of Acts. Yeah. And if you spend some time in the last six, seven, eight verses of chapter 14, you'll find that what exactly they did was they went to the city and they preached the gospel to the entire city and they taught many, mm -hmm. those that had responded. And then they began to confirm the disciples and teach them that through much tribulation, they enter into the kingdom of God. And it said, and when they ordained elders in every city, you know, they commended them unto yeah. the Lord and and all that sort of thing. For And it says for the work which, and then it says the work that they had fulfilled. They fulfilled their work only when they completed all these steps of yeah. evangelism, discipleship, training, commending, turning them over to the Lord in local assemblies that had a mature level of ability to continue on. That is the biblical definition of fulfilling the mission, but this idea of getting away from local church ministry because there's special, well, nobody's really reaching the college kids. Let's just go do yeah. that. No, I, I think that's entirely wrong. Jesus Christ, I, I referred to it earlier, 
calls the church his body. Mm-hmm. He doesn't say that the church is like his body. Right. The church is his body. Oh, well, that's the universal church. You don't understand. Yes, I understand the local church and I understand the universal church. They're actually both used in the Bible. Mm-hmm. And if you just counted the number of times that they're used in context each, the number of times referring to local assemblies is far greater, Right. obviously. Right. But there's a legitimate application for a universal spiritual body. We are all born again believers, you know, from the mm-hmm. resurrection to the rapture, gathered in heavenly places, you know, before the Lord right now, Ephesians. Mm-hmm. I get it. But at the same time, the local expression, how we live our lives out here, well, we're we are the church. Mm-hmm. And so what did he what did he tell Peter? Upon this rock I'll build my church. And what did Paul and, and the apostles do in the early first century? They went out and started churches. And what what is what other explicitly mentioned vehicle of of ministry function do you find in the New Testament? There are none. Right. There are none. Yeah. So specialty youth ministry, college ministry, they're all fine as a function of a local church. Yeah. But to be to say we're you know we're a part of X Y Z organization and we do basketball ministry. Right. Well, okay. I mean, good, good, but. Sometimes we give away the best for good. Yeah, for so sure. That, you know, that's a problem. We're going to pause right here for just a second so we can hear from one of our students from the Living Faith Bible Institute. Hi, my name is Chris Allred. Uh, my wife, Lindsay, and I are at Oakland Heights Baptist Church in Cartersville, Georgia, where we've been for about six years. We've served in a lot of different ministries, uh, but our main function has been to lead the middle school ministry for the past five years, up until this past August, where we've transitioned into leading our high school student ministry. Uh, we've been taking LFBI classes for a few years now, and, and they've been a, a really big blessing in our life. They've been instrumental in our training and our growth process. Proverbs 11 says that there's safety in the multitude of counselors. That's exactly what LFBI has been for us, a multitude of counselors. Uh, not only do we do we get some biblical knowledge and some doctrinal training, but we have pastors and missionaries teaching these classes uh, that have a lot of experience in ministry and are able to, to not just teach us from a book, but actually uh, pour some wisdom into our lives from their experience and, and help to, to prepare us and train us for leadership and make us into more godly leaders and ministers. And, and LFBI has been a huge blessing, and I believe it's done just that in my life uh, thus far. I've, I've got godly men helping me to become a godly man. And I'm very grateful for LFBI. It's been a huge blessing. Visit LFBI.org to learn more about Living Faith Bible Institute. I, I think the next question, at least in terms of, of our line of dialogue, is how how did we get here? So like, I mean, what you're saying as you present it, I mean, obviously you feel fervently about it. That's because it's just so obviously true. I suppose like when you look at the Bible, it's it's hard to miss these things, Yeah. but we've somehow forgotten this. Like how did we get to a place where we become so reliant on these third party institutions? Uh, how is it we got to a place that the church as we've relented um, our spiritual authority, you know, I mean, which is what's happening. Uh, why did these other groups begin to rise up? I mean, how do we find ourselves so connected to anything outside of what God has recommended or prescribed? Yeah. So, you know, I mean, again, to, to be fair, you know, I try and be fair. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not an expert historian to track necessarily the 
the genesis of everybody's ministry mm -hmm. or how necessarily they all philosophically came to be. But I think it's fair to say, um, so this would be my observation as well, that a lot of these ministries, certainly they're nice people. They love the Lord and they want to do the best they can to have maximum influence for the Lord. They, they rise up, I think, in the void that exists when existing local churches aren't taking seriously the commission that's been left to them. Mm -hmm. So I've, if I've heard this once, I've heard it a hundred times that, well, if the church was doing it, we wouldn't have to. Right. And so there's some truth to that. Now that it hurts a little to say that as a churchman, if I will, you mm -hmm. know, but, but there's some truth to that. If churches don't take seriously the, expositional preaching of the word so people understand what it means and, and the intentional training of their people and the focused vision to drive people to dream and consider yeah. reproducing after its kind in new places. Well, well, then as pastors and leaders of churches in, let's just say, denominational traditions or whatever the case might be, mm -hmm. get comfortable and lazy in their jobs, well, then they just relax to a position of, well, you know, I'm yeah, checking my time clock and putting in my sermon a week or doing whatever their minimum requirements are, but they're not really casting vision. They're not really training and helping people to see that this is what we need to do. And so as a result, other people, God-fearing people in their congregation are like, hey, but there's people that need help over here and there's people that need help over here and the church isn't doing it. So I'll tell you what, why don't we, and then they come up with some, some idea Okay, you could view that and say, well, praise the Lord for those people. Okay, okay. But I would at least offer for your consideration that, well, but why don't we channel that energy to yeah. let's let's help the church do what they're supposed to do rather than what has then, and again, my observation, come as a result. This is kind of denigrated to these organizations have become so large now in, in many cases that while they say, they call themselves parachurch with mm -hmm. the idea that, you know, the paraclete, they come alongside the local church. Yeah. We're here to help the local church. Sure. But my experience is they don't help the local church. My experience, my, let me emphasize that. Yeah. I'm not trying to broad brush everybody. Sure. We got, we the, got 45 minutes. You got to kind of broad they, brush. They, they steal people from local churches. They, they attend church. They, they meet the brightest and best. They invite them to their specialty fun group, whatever that might be, yeah. and they draw them out of churches. Yeah. Now the church is void of some of their best people because they've been taken to work in this college group or whatever the case might be. And so now what's what's a church to do? Like you just took all our people and now you're going to accuse us of not being able to do our job. Why don't mm -hmm. we, hey, I got an idea. Why don't we just stick with the script? Mm -hmm. And the script says that Jesus died for the church. That's what he died for. And so let's build churches because only a New Testament local church can give you the proper, complete picture of what the ultimate universal church of Jesus Christ is supposed to look like anyway. Mm -hmm. So you need to have ministries to all ages. You need to have ministries sure. to all various opportunities. So, so that's the beauty of local church-only ministry. And maybe at some point we'll get to it. I'm not trying to drive our conversation. No, you're right. You're good. Is that... You know what? At the end of the day, if you'll just do that, 
it actually works. Mm -hmm. Like it actually works. You don't have to deviate from the script. Right. In order to have results. But I wonder, okay, so you know, you know, let's just, we're Baptists, so we know what Baptists are like. So if you look at Baptisthood as a whole, uh, some of these Baptist churches, I mean, New Philadelphia is what, 130 years old? How old, how old the church is? 165. Oh my gosh. See, that's like crazy, right? We started just before the Civil War. That's insane. Yeah. It's so old. So, but you've got churches all over the US. They're, 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 most of them, if we're honest, Baptist churches, most of them are, are pretty old. Um, and, uh, you come to a place where maybe you, maybe ministry didn't go well, you know, in a season or whatever. And over time you begin to take a low estimation of yourself, right? And you lose your, the confidence that maybe you had a generation ago. And now you're in a place where like, if we're going to have any impact at all, uh, the one we've got to outsource right. our discipleship. If we're gonna if we're gonna have any any yeah, hope in being a part of a mi of missions, and in any way whatsoever, right? Uh, well, then we need to outsource the missions work to someone else, and we'll just keep sending our best and brightest to other places because we'd like to have some involvement because we love the Lord, but they 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 see themselves so lowly, and the the hill seems so insurmountable, and they do it so good over there anyway. You yeah. know, they're doing such good work. Yeah, we'll subcontract it out. Right. And, uh, and I can see how people get there. I can see how that happens. And, I, and, and it I becomes agree, convenient, doesn't mm -hmm. it, for the church leader? It becomes convenient to say, well, I'll stay in my lane. You, you do your lane. Yeah. And, and we'll just be the feeder organization. Okay. That, you know, that may sound good. But at the end of the day, I, I actually would say that it's detrimental. It's detrimental to the overall picture while you could say, well, they're doing some things and they're doing some things and the greater whole might be accomplished, I would argue it doesn't actually become accomplished. Mm -hmm. Because what's missing is in a fully functioning, healthy local church, there's a lot of inner dynamics that go yeah. on. And, and the youngest need to learn from the oldest and the maturest need to help teach those who are still young and growing and, and all these ways that people rub up against each other and sometimes cause some friction. And it's all learning and growing. And, yeah. and it's all very important. If we're constantly culling the best out and shipping them away and we never see them again, and we just hope to hear good reports. Yeah. And then at the end of the day, if they're in a specialized organization of people within a four or five year you know, age bracket or whatever, mm -hmm. and that's all they ever do. Well, even those people are missing the wisdom they could gain from the elderly in the congregation or from the young that they could really be investing in as children or all these it, various you're things. You're saying it perpetuates the problem. Yes, it does. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, one of the crazy things, okay, so I heard this once. I'm talking to a, a, a professor at one of the local seminaries here, and we're, we're having a conversation about one of their students coming to our church. And I'm talking about discipleship. You know, we're, we're making this investment in this young college-age student. We're, we're teaching them the Word. We're teaching them ministry. They're coming alongside of us. I'm explaining the way we approach discipleship. Yeah. And their view was, well, we're discipling them. Like that, I mean, th there, was an yeah, offense, there was an offense taken on the, the, the seminarian side because the roles have been reversed. Yeah. So he, he doesn't see a distinguishment between the local church and what the seminary is doing. And I'm sure that the missions organization would take the same exact position. Because their view of the word church. See, the problem becomes is that they exclusively and only read universal church. We are all the church. 
and they don't ever recognize the law. So there's there's an error, in my view, mm -hmm. theologically, to view one exclusively against the other. There's all yeah. kind of problems with universal church only, and we discount completely the local. Those are fairly obvious. We've been discussing those. Yeah. There's equal error in local church only and completely discounting the idea that we are all interconnected as children of God and mm -hmm. a part of the body of Christ mm -hmm. currently assembled together, the word church, you know, right. in heavenly places. Yeah, in a Christ. kingdom of people. Yeah, so if if you become the local church only in the context of there, there doesn't exist such a thing as a universal, well, then you're into all kind of crazy bounds. ideas that they're, they have yeah. too. So the proper balance, I think, lends us to the only conclusion, the conclusion that we're describing today. And so the, the seminary prof or the missions agency guy or whatever the specialty ministry, parachurch ministry would be, typically, it's been my experience in my conversations, mm -hmm. is that they are going to exclusively emphasize only this universal aspect yeah. and downplay the local. Because otherwise, and I'm not trying to be crassly pragmatic, I can't help it. It's just sure. the way I see stuff. But it it takes away from their market share if, it, to see it differently. Right. You know what yeah. I mean? There's, a, there's one way that it benefits them. Yeah. Yeah. So how do we get back to a place? Like, it, like let's, let's imagine for a moment that we have a, a church in our fellowship, for instance, that's maybe been functioning, you referred to as a paradigm, in this alternative paradigm yeah. where they've been working with missions organizations, they felt compelled to, they, they, they felt maybe that they didn't have the, 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 the arm or the stretch, the reach yeah. to actually do the work themselves. How do they start moving back towards a, an approach that we would consider to be more biblical as it as it it, it might affect you know discipleship but especially as it concerns the issue of missions yeah how do we get back to where we where we should be all right this is gonna be real deep you ready I'm ready one step at a time yeah like seriously the at the end of the day you can only do what you can do I have a huge heart for men who are slugging it out in a in a smaller church that has limited resource and his time is being drawn in 19 directions mm -hmm. at one time. And the idea that, so we talk about the Bible Institute that we share and we can share resources and help people. Well, that singular pastor to try and prepare all the teaching he needs to do, which is probably at least a couple times a week, if not more, mm -hmm. counsel all the people that he's dealing with, a ton of evangelistic, organizational, administrative work, et cetera, et cetera. And then to add to that, you know, discipleship training and development and all higher levels of education. Well, that's just too much for one guy or yeah, two guys. Right. That's just too much. So a cooperative effort can be good, but but make a move to begin to bring some things in-house. What can you bring in-house and take more seriously? Now, to do that, it's like anything else. You know, it's like Jesus said to the church of the Laodiceans, I counsel thee to buy of me some things. You mm -hmm. want to be an overcomer? You know, you're gonna, it's going to cost you something. Yeah. So it's going to cost that pastor or team of leaders something to agree to say, rather than just subcontract out these things, to begin to take them on ourselves, well, that's more work for me. Okay, well, baby steps. Just yeah. do, do one now and, and see how it works, and then do another, and then do another, and, and begin to coalesce the resources. God has entrusted you with resources, the most important of which are always the human resources. Mm -hmm. Well, he's entrusted those to you. So do what you can do. You, you don't have to be 
the highest educated professor. Love, just love your people. Teach them what you know. Yeah. Invest in them. Cast vision for them. Show them how the greater body of Christ actually works and our greater body of this church works and how that can all come together at one time. And you might just be surprised how young people will rally around that. They'll, sure. they'll get excited about, you know, this adult man, my pastor, cares enough about me and he's investing in me and he knows my name. And yep. I mean, whatever the details are, are the details of any unique situation. But sometimes we get overwhelmed thinking I could never do all of that, so I won't even start. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that's a mistake. Yeah. And I think what you're saying too is that it begins with discipleship. Like, so it's discipleship and it's training and then it's sending, right? We got to right. start We got to start with, uh, maybe it's just one person. Like, who's the guy in your church? Who, right. Who's the one that you see the zeal in? Maybe it's unrefined and and maybe he's, you know, got some issues, but he's a young man or a, or a young, there's a young woman in the ministry that needs to be discipled. And maybe it's just a few people in the beginning. But I think the important thing to understand too is to temper your expectations by understanding that this is slow going. Right. Like a shortcut, actually shortcuts are what got you here. Right. To get it back on course, it's going to take maybe maybe some patience and some long suffering. Yeah, it's parenting. Mm -hmm. it, you know, parenting is is a long game. Yeah, but you're right. The discipleship it's a great it's a great point, and you're that's exactly right. Because what you want to do is you're probably feeling overwhelmed with the load. Mm -hmm. So what you would love to have is co laborers. So what you're going to need to do is not mm. look to hire out one, mm. but develop your own. So develop somebody to the level where then you can begin to hand the baton off. And there's a way to hand it off wisely, not all at once. Yeah. And and see them grow to some responsibility. Okay, now you're sharing that responsibility. You don't have to do that anymore. Continue that process. Yeah. You know, until you have enough co-laborers and really get some momentum. Yeah. No, it's it's good. Like when you said though, don't hire it out, right? Like I'm thinking about how often it is that that in our in the pastoring world that churches get off course because they didn't disciple up the guy or the people, the leadership in their church did not come from their spiritual loins, if you will. Yeah. And so the DNA changes rapidly. And, and, uh, and I think what you said is it could be its whole, a whole podcast in and of itself, but this idea that we are responsible for training up our replacements and to not be afraid to, to delegate leadership because too many guys are, are hoarding, the, the ownership of ministry, and if it's not in their little tent or in their little world. Almost sounds carnal. Yeah. Yeah, but, but, but see, the thing is that we hide it under the this kind of piety or yeah. a, this belief that we hold the keys because, you know, well, God's blessed us with this responsibility. Or I've been doing it for so many years. Nobody could do it as mm -hmm. well as I can do it. Yeah. Years ago in my ministry, I just developed a, a little slogan that I used to refer back to because it just helped me not forget and and this little slogan that, that I would use is that we use ministry to build men, yeah. not the other way around. So a lot of guys will get out there and they want to hire the best talent. Um, it was years before I realized there's churches and even church plants. They're, they're going to pay some professional band to come in and do their oh worship. Oh my gosh, yeah. When that, I discovered that, it blew my mind. <laughs> like professional musicians... There, there's some guys on the lower level of professional that are they're good musicians, right? But they're doing tours of churches to make a living. You know what I mean? They don't believe, they don't care. 
They're not members of that church. They'll sing your favorite kind of music, and then they'll go to the next church and sing their favorite. They don't care. Mm -hmm. Okay, instead of always just looking to use those men or women, as the case might be, to build your ministry, so the ministry package, boy, it sure is pretty. It sure is smooth. It sure is nice. It's going to be big and bright and beautiful and all that and attractive. And again, with the best of intentions, I get why people want to do that. Because a, a better oiled machine draws more people. We care about people. On the other hand, I I said what I said intentionally, and it drives me, is we're going to use whatever ministry God has allowed us to be a part of to build into men. So if the, the particular function of a particular ministry is a little bit lower quality than maybe it could be if I did it only myself, I'm going to let it be a little lower quality mm-hmm. because it's more important that I'm training up the guy. Mm-hmm. So that eventually it's equally and even higher quality, but we're multiplying out now. Yes. So you have to be willing to sacrifice. Somebody's going to do announcements and they stutter or whatever, whatever, you know. Yeah. They're not that great at it yet. So what? We're going to let them do it because they are in development. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, is making disciples. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, right? Yeah. So. And, and and so it may be messy, yeah. but that messiness is actually indicative of multiplication. Yeah. Like it, it might, it might not be refined, Yeah, but that's actually a sign that, that God is, is doing something. And uh, especially working with young people, if I was to be critical, I mean, nothing ever seems to get done. You would never be critical. <laughs> I'm the critical one. Okay, I'll You're, give that to you. Yeah. Well, you could say, that if you were to be critical, Jeff, yeah. <laughs> Th- things aren't always done the way that I'd want them to be done, yeah. right? Things aren't refined. Like people mess things up. But the beauty as a pastor is that I can, in grace, that's what, this is what grace is for, yeah. is to be like, it's wonderful that you're serving the Lord. Let's coach, yeah. let's get better. But man, how wonderful is it that, it, that everything's kind of messy and exciting and, and not perfect, but man, we are, we're multiplying the work. Listen, and, and isn't that... Yet another step of faith and growth mm-hmm. and development for you as a leader. Sure, yeah. Like, if you if you can administrate your level of perfection in your bubble, and you know ferociously protect it, are you really growing? I mean, I would contend that you're not. Yeah, we all need point. to trust the Lord enough. The ministry belongs to the Lord. It doesn't belong to me. Mm. He's He is the Lord of the harvest. I, I'm just. I'm just lucky to be a part of it. Yeah. So what is my role? Well, how could I possibly know what my role is? Oh, yeah, there's a book that tells me. Mm-hmm. Can we go back to what it says, just believe it in its context, and do everything we understand to do to apply that literally and directly in whatever area of ministry God's given us yeah. to do? And if we'll do that, I think we will start local churches. We will serve in local churches. We will train in local churches. We will send to start local churches. Yeah, That's what we'll do because that's what the Lord left us to do. And that's the only model we have in Acts. And that's what the Apostle Paul, who we're supposed to follow, did. And, 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 and. Yeah. You know, that sort of thing. This, this has been great. Before we go, sure. I think it would be fun for you to just imagine, since we're talking about imagining what things could be like. Yeah. You're the missions pastor now at, at First Baptist. Right. What do you envision? What when you daydream about 
the missions work next five and 10 years at First Baptist, what do you imagine that being like? What, what are you hoping for in the Lord? Yeah, well, we're just trying to lead and manage, you know, mentor whatever the Lord will give to us. So our desire, obviously, is to see, you know, a, a small army, mm-hmm. you know, small is relative, but I'll just use the word, Yeah. of faithful, trained servants who are willing to trust the Lord to go to new places and go and do likewise and reproduce after their kind with the same DNA. And so my role is to constantly be involved in the lives of these who are dreaming this way mm-hmm. in helping their education and helping their vision casting and helping their preparation. And with my experience to be able to tell story, tell the grandpa stories, yeah. you know, that sort of thing. Sure. It can have take them on trips, you know, that sort of thing and coach them along the way while they're doubting and wondering and wrestling through all the other things. But, but there's a great big world out there and short of, you know, the Lord allowing the Antichrist to step in and call time out, which may happen, mm-hmm. but that's not that's above my pay grade. Yeah. I'm, I'm not to worry about that. Right. We're going to march ahead until we can't. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to I'm just going to keep ringing the bell and keep calling to see. And and we have, thank the Lord, in our church, we have a, a growing number of young, especially the younger ones. I'm more excited yeah. about. They've got more of their life ahead of them than behind them, like mm-hmm. me. And. Uh, to go and and to surrender it all and to say, this is the greatest promotion I could ever have. I want to yeah. go and give it all to serve the Lord because that's all that really matters anyway. So, so you know, we we do our thing. We we disciple and train and cast vision and 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 hope that more and more. So, you know, Kale is out in Hungary. Praise the Lord for that. Yeah. And, you know, we sent Matt to Columbus and praise the Lord for that. And, you know, we're looking at others with internships around the corner and guys are finishing their education and they're dreaming and you know we'll see where that goes but i i could see the day where i spend a lot less time well i don't know if my wife would want to hear this i probably <laughs> should have thought this through in ohio hmm. and more time on the road regularly making stops confirming their souls visiting and, your grandkids. and helping them yeah helping them make sure that they're well established and understanding just have yeah. a Shoulder to cry on when they're upset about stuff because yeah I've been upset it's okay we'll be yeah. all right you know we'll spray yeah. about you know I, that would be that would be wonderful I used to I used to dream about the idea and I'm I'm kind of secretly working towards this idea is like this would be a whole nother weird podcast it'd be fun <laughs> is there such a thing as a modern day apostle well in the context of the twelve of course not right you know but in the loose context of the understanding of apostle meaning a sent one like yeah. a missionary. An apostol, a modern apostolic, not signs and wonders apostolic right. um, role would be like Paul. Yes, over, not authoritatively over, but overseeing multiple churches that, as a result of his ministry, are across Asia Minor, and he can regularly check up on them and make sure that they're doing well and doing that sort of thing. So um, that's yeah. the direction we're yeah. Pointed. And that's and that I think that heart that you just expressed. I mean, I know that's shared here at MBT. I mean, I know that Sam talks about when he's an old man, yeah. just traveling around and visiting all the church plants and confirming the work, and just exactly as you described it, yeah. that's his heart too. What a and joy, right? It's my, yeah. The, here's here's my real joy. Here, here's here's the dream. May never happen. I want to be able to go into a church plant that is like 
the granddaughter church of some church we started and sit in the back row. And nobody no, has any idea who I am. Yeah. And just enjoy it. Yeah. Now that may never happen. We might be not be around long enough. Who knows? But I think that, that that's just indicative of the multiplication continues. It's not about any of us. No. The fact that I got to be a part of a little seed over here that got to that point and I can just sneak in. Nobody knows me. Like I can't do that in Albania. They, they won't right. let me. Right. But maybe someday, you know what yeah. I mean? So that'd be fun. That would be fun. Jeff, thanks for hanging out with me, man. Yeah, it's a blast. I really appreciate it. This was really good. This was a conversation. We we talk about local church all the time on the show. Yeah. But it was good to, to talk about it from a missions perspective and what the responsibility of the church really is. And so thanks for, thanks for hanging out. Right on. And we want to thank you too for joining us for another episode of The Postscript. Uh, we're grateful for any of the time that you spend with us, of course. Uh, we love you. Uh, we are especially excited about the idea that um, we can come alongside and supplement supplement some of the education that you're getting in your local churches. We talked about this through the entire episode. It is the local church's responsibility to disciple and to train you and to encourage you and to send you and to do all that stuff. LFBI only exists as a mechanism to help those pastors who can't do all the training themselves. And so, and so that's why we exist and that's why we're here. And if, if you're a pastor and you need some help and you think that, that uh, this would be a good supplement to the training that you're doing in your church, or you've just got questions about discipleship or any of the stuff that we talked about, please reach out to us. You can visit us at lfbi.org and you can contact any, any number of the, the professors or the teachers on our site. Uh, maybe you're a student and you're inter interested in getting a biblical philosophy of ministry. You want to grow in your education. Uh, we want to invite you to come check out and see what uh, classes that we're offering in the coming semester. But we're grateful for you. Uh, we are hoping to encourage you and to strengthen you with each of these episodes. And we hope that you'll join us again next week for another episode of The Postscript. God bless. Thanks for listening to The Postscript. If you enjoy the show, please leave us a rating and review in order to help other people find our podcast. If you value this show, please help us continue creating content by supporting Living Faith Bible Institute at lfbi.org support.